Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Creator Spotlight from The Interface. Creator Spotlight is our brand new series where we talk to creators about what they make and do and how they got started. Today I'm joined by Chris Sherwood from Crosstalk Solutions. Chris has a very popular YouTube channel which covers everything from Ubiquity to Starlink and I personally love his channel, so welcome Chris. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. I know you've uh, been sort of watching the channel for a long time. I remember seeing your name uh, in comments and whatnot for yeah, years now. Oh, well. Yeah, I I remember when I was watching some videos, it was must have been back when you start the channel. Um, it's very helpful. It helped me learn a lot of Ubiquiti stuff when I first got started into networking. So I'm grateful that you, you're there putting stuff out. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's kind of the, you know, a lot of times I do the videos for my own benefit, you know, if it's something that I'm working on and then I document it and then other people find it helpful as well. But I have on more than one occasion gone back and referenced my own videos to remember how to do something. So, <laughs> Yeah, I can, I can sympathize with that. I was doing something for um, my website, the interface with, I was moving it to AWS and while I was going through the whole process of doing it, I thought I'm going to write something at the same time. It took a while. But I've, I've had to go back now and, and read that same document doing stuff with domains, so I can definitely sympathize with that. So Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Especially with cool, AWS. Few... AWS is such a beast. I, don't, I am not any sort of AWS expert, but I know enough about it to know that there is, I mean, it's, there are multiple different full-time salaried positions just knowing various aspects of AWS. It's it's insane. It's such the scope of that project is unbelievable. Yeah, I was trying to do something simple like uh, just a three hundred one redirect for another domain I've got, um, and I got to the point where I had to actually call support, um, <laughs> and I couldn't work. I couldn't work out to do it. So that's that's the bit I had to doc- document. Uh, there's so many different steps. It's a probably a, a thousand word guide I wrote. I wrote just to, wow. just for that one thing. So how is AWS support? I've never had to call them. They are excellent. Um, it's it's a paid thing if you want phone calls. So I paid. I think I think I bought it right at the end of the month. So they only charge you for the rest of the month. It was like thirty dollars or something. But they are top notch. They phone you back when they when they when they do it. They do screen share with them. They are they'll stay on the phone with you until you, they've solved the problem. Um, and this one particular problem I had to do, I got through three different people. The guy on the phone I had, he didn't know what to do, so he just called someone else in and said, "How do we do this?" So wow. I'm very impressed with AWS support. So. Oh, that's great. I had a similar experience with um, Microsoft way back in the day. I had a some sort of issue. I was administering, um, you know, a small business network. We had about 150 employees. And I had some sort of weird um, Active Directory and Microsoft Exchange synchronization issue where something data was just getting weird, uh, you know, between those two products. And I got on the phone with a Microsoft technician who stayed on the phone with me for nine hours to try to get that resolved wow. and ultimately got it resolved. But like that was his entire workday plus some. And I was like super impressed with that guy. I wish I remembered his name because I would give him a shout out even to this day. And that was like 20 years ago. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Is that something you have to pay for, I guess, that? Yeah, back then it was. I mean, back then, well, how did it work back then? I guess back then it was all just licensed. And then I think by virtue of having a license, you got some level of support with it. I I don't recall exactly. I'm sure it's changed by now. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's uh, not something I've experienced, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Um, For for this episode, I've got a few topics. I've got about eight or ten topics, I think. So I just want to, the whole point of the podcast is to talk to people that make things 
and then how they got started, the inspiration for it, and more importantly, like how it how it's going. So, um, Crosstalk Solutions. So, was it ever intended to be a YouTube channel, or was it just purely a network consulting business that turned itself into a channel? Or how how did it get started? Yeah. So, the, good question. It's it's actually. So Crosstalk Solutions originally was envisioned as a company that was going to develop add-ons for voice over IP phone systems, right? So imagine that you had a need where you've got some database of customers, right? And you want to set it up so that when someone calls into your phone system, they can do an account lookup of some sort, right? Where they're like, hey, please enter your account number and you punch in the digits and it goes and does a database lookup and pulls that information back. So that's originally what I had envisioned for Crosstalk Solutions. And I quickly came to find out that that space is, there's just not a lot of business in that space, Mm. right? So uh, out of kind of desperation from having lost a job, I got laid off uh, from a a director level voice over IP position from a company that was um, trying to sort of tighten their belt and, you know, show profitability in order to be sold. Right. So they started cutting people out. uh, And I was uh, an unfortunate uh, recipient of a layoff at one point. And I, I remember I got laid off. And then two days later, I found out my wife was pregnant with our second kid. So it was like, Oh, great. What do I do now? (laughs) So it was basically at that point, I was like, okay, I got to do something. I was living in an area where there weren't a lot of director level IT positions available where I lived. Um, so it was either like move somewhere uh, or just really try to push hard on sort of IT consulting. So I just cast a really wide net and I was doing, you know, just going door to door basically in the local community to businesses and saying, hey, I do networking, I do websites, I do point of sale systems. I'll do whatever you need me to do. I can figure it out. Like I'm a tech guy, whatever you need, I can figure it out. And, um, I got enough business to sort of help start and sustain things. Uh, but at the same time I had a lot of free time. So I just started putting videos on YouTube. Um, I had a previous YouTube channel before crosstalk solutions that was related to, um, outdoor stuff like gardening and, you know, taking trees down with chainsaws in a forest and stuff like that. And so I had kind of already cracked the code on YouTube a little bit, although that channel never got more than I think like 1,500 subscribers or something. Um, so I shut that one down and I took what I learned there and I put it into Crosstalk Solutions. And ultimately, you know, through Ubiquity stuff and through voiceover mm-hmm. IP, free PBX type videos, um, it grew and grew. And ultimately, we turned it into a whole business, um, you know, behind the YouTube channel for network consulting voice over IP phone systems, et cetera. So, but yeah, it was really started just out of desperation because I had a lot of free time and nothing else to do. Yeah. I remember some of the very early videos. It's sort of you in your back room with a guitar on the wall and yeah, <laughs> some of the, those are the, those are good, uh, good videos to, to watch, especially the early Ubiquity stuff you did. I got a lot of views. It's obviously, oh, yeah. it's such a, even some of the simple stuff like nanostation guides. It's, it's such a thing that maybe some people are confused about. So that they'll go back to old videos. It's such a, Evergreen I, had, thing, so. I had kind of hopped on the ubiquity bandwagon really early um, and like before they became super, super popular. So I think that's what led to a lot of it is just, um, you know, people were just finding out about this company, Ubiquity and the products that they um, were creating. And that I guess that sort of helped a lot. I still have that guitar on the wall, by the way. It's just it's over here, not behind me. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
Yeah, I remember the early days of Ubiquity. So around that sort of time, I was I just started at a Wisp in the UK, and mm-hmm. we were we were just discovering Ubiquity, and it was it was amazing. There was all sorts of new things coming out. It was I was I was just learning about about it all. So it's amazing how far it's come. Um, oh yeah, it's definitely a lot of people doing stuff with it now. So it's interesting because. T- Starting a WISP now, if someone came to me and said, Chris, I want to start a wireless ISP, I would be very careful about it now mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, five, ten years ago. Uh, because with with new technologies like Starlink coming out, um, you know, wireless ISPs are, I think, going to be in less and less demand over time, right? As we get this, like, sort of global, um, you know, low Earth orbit satellite infrastructure from multiple different companies, Um where you're going to have basically like really good internet connectivity anywhere you are in the world, um, the need for a wireless ISPs uh, or, or the need for a wireless ISP businesses is declining. Um, or at least I can see it declining over the next however long. And I, I probably wouldn't get into that business at this point. But the point to point, point to multi-point stuff is still great for like, um, you know, yeah, yeah. smaller projects, properties. I just did one last week where it's this um, paragliding facility where they're like up on top of a mountain and they've got like a warehouse and an area where they have people that do camping and they've got a main house uh, where they have Starlink. And we did like multiple point to points just to get the whole property covered. Uh, and yeah, it's yeah. like perfect for that kind of thing. And it wasn't even very far that we were shooting the the link. It was like 75 meters uh, was the longer of the two links. Uh, but it's like just absolutely amazing that you can just hey let's just shoot internet way the heck over there you know and like have the same good quality internet uh across it multiple acreages of property yeah is it was this the stuff with the gigabeam stuff you put on twitter i think that's right yeah yeah so that uh that video is shot i have not edited it yet um it's in process hopefully will be out soon i've kind of taken the month off not off of youtube but i've kind of youtube is such an interesting beast like the if you are not putting out consistent content, and not just consistent content, but consistent content that doesn't vary too much from what mm-hmm. your core audience and core value proposition is, if you start to sort of stray from that, YouTube very much punishes your channel and uh, and, yeah. and will really like knock it down in the statistics to where you're not getting the views that you're supposed to. So I've kind of taken a step back this month and I'm focusing on like, hey, let's get back to the core of what this channel is supposed to be. And then next month, we're going to hit it hard and start like focusing just on that core and hopefully start mm-hmm. bringing the growth back to the channel because it's really just plateaued, uh, which is so disappointing, especially as you know, it takes a lot of work and effort uh, to put videos out on YouTube. And so when you put a ton of effort into a video and then like you get 25% of the views that you're expecting, mm-hmm. it's just disappointing yeah there's a, there's a guy in australia i don't know if you've seen him he does um a lot of he gets retro tech cleans them and sort of goes over uh i don't know xp laptops from back in the day but he did it it's all his channel's always been that and then suddenly last week he he, felt, he filmed a video about a car basically did exactly the same thing sort of bought a car and went through the whole troubleshooting process that that video hasn't got anywhere near the amount of views he usually gets i think he gets a couple hundred thousand views a video and this one got half like twenty five thousand or something such a yeah. shame because it's such a really good video. He's obviously put a lot of time into it and months of work, but it's as you said, it's obviously YouTube will just see that as not as something usually does. So, but yeah, well, and that's why a lot of creators have multiple channels, 
right? So they'll have their sort of main channel and then they'll have sort of offshoots. Like I've got a second channel. I've got a channel called uh, EV Fever, Electric Vehicle Fever, EV Fever, Mm. right? That is a separate YouTube channel that I started um, because I was doing videos on electric vehicles and same thing. It just was not really the the core audience of my main channel. So I sort of put that on its own channel uh, but then ultimately, like, it's too much work to maintain multiple channels and a business and all that stuff. So I haven't done any videos on it. Although, I have to say there's this new electric vehicle called the Aptera. It's uh, it's hmm. here in, um, it's based out of here in San Diego, San Diego, California. And it is the, it's a car that, like, just blows my mind. Because it's actually, I guess, officially, I think it's classified as a motorcycle. Uh, but it's a three-wheel oh. vehicle. You can check it out, aptera.us. And what they did is they designed the the car to be basically like a, a fighter jet. Like it's so super efficient in terms of like its drag coefficient, you know, when it's pushing through oh, wow. air. Um, and they made it so hyper efficient that they eventually put solar panels on it. And now it can charge up with solar about 40 miles per day if you have like the full solar package. So yeah. it's essentially getting to the point where they're now creating vehicles that while it's not quite to the point where it could be like a daily driver and completely off the grid solar powered, it's, it's getting there, you know? And like, I love that kind of stuff. So I might start to do a little bit more on, on that channel, but we'll see. Yeah. For people, for people watching, I'll stick a picture up in the video, but yeah, looks, that looks really cool. It does look, there's a lot of, there's so much electric car stuff. Um, There's so much now that I've, with a friend of mine, I've actually started an electric car podcast with a sort of offshoot of the, of the, of the blog, but I mean, we just decided there was there wasn't much wasn't much coverage of stuff in the UK for electric cars, and the yeah. stuff that I was reporting on each each month there was so much. We just thought we might as well just discuss it. There was so much stuff coming out, new cars, new even new companies. Um, sure. It's yeah, it's just an interesting interesting side of stuff. So, well, that's a cool one. If you want to look at a yeah. really like unique and interesting looking vehicle that's coming out, that Aptera definitely ticks those boxes because it's a it's a weird car i put a deposit down on one i'm like what well, i gotta like i gotta try it out like when it comes yeah, out sure. you know they're they're supposedly going into production like next year so like that's amazing yeah are you happy with your tesla as well the is yeah. um yeah yeah i so i've had the model three for i guess about three and a half years now and okay. uh yeah i love it it's still a joy to drive it's held up i've had you know, a few minor issues with it over over the years, probably no more than you would with any other car. But um, yeah. I've taken, you know, so I live in Oregon. Uh, I've driven all the way down to Los Angeles, California, which is a heck of a drive. I've driven yeah. all the way up to the tip of Idaho. So I've been sort of on the Pacific coast all the way north and all the way south with it. And yeah, it's it's held up great. No problems. Awesome. Yeah, I enjoyed the video you did a while ago about the, um, it was trying to get the footage to sort of auto sync with your Wi-Fi network when you got home with the, um, what do you call yes. it? The dash cam feature. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like a, that was a, a cool thing. project. I, I admittedly it stopped working at some point and I pulled it out of the car. So I don't currently use that anymore. And I'd never went back yeah. to revisit it because that was one of those situations where it was a video that, um, I fully documented because there wasn't enough documentation out there. A lot of people got a lot of use out of it, but being that it was an open source project, the way that it was installed changed over time. And so the video became um, obsolete. 
right? So people were still looking at it, but they'd be like, hey, this doesn't work for me. This doesn't work for oh, me type right. of thing. And uh, eventually it's like, well, I mean, do I want to go back and like redo my video and, you know, try to get it working again? Or just like we already visited that subject and we're done, you know? So it's just those are the kind of decisions that like, again, you get to a point where like that's not really what the channel's about. So, mm-hmm. you know, let's just let's maybe shift that to the electric vehicle channel or whatever. Right. You got to make those decisions. Yeah, sure. I think I think with the Tesla as well, I think there's more features on it to do that sort of thing, isn't there? I think you can log in remotely now as well and view the footage on your phone, I think. So I don't know if there's some sort of I backup I have not feature, seen but... that. I have not. That may okay. be possible. I have not personally seen that. But I know that, like, at this point, you can just hook a hard drive up to it. Um, so oh, I've right. got a little, like, M.2 with an external enclosure. And I just have that in there, and I just plug it in, and it saves the footage. If I need the footage, like... I could just get it right off of that hard drive, but uh, Pretty luckily, good. you know, fingers crossed, I have not needed any any Tesla footage from having the car dinged up or gotten in an accident or anything. So that's you got to be thankful for that. Yeah, I've seen a lot of videos on on Twitter stuff, especially in the not so much in this country, but especially in the US, with people like targeting the. I don't understand why, but people seeing them in a car park and just keying them or something stupid. I just. I don't get it. So I'm, it's glad, it's good that you haven't had that problem, but I've seen quite a few people. No, that, but... I have not. I've heard some horror stories, but I have not personally yeah. experienced any of that, thankfully. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, what about, we were talking about video editing a little while ago. So one of the videos I was super impressed with um, was the, the Lake House video you did a few months mm, ago. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I watched that as soon as it came out and it was, it must have taken you a long time to edit. That was very impressive, that one. I enjoyed that one. It sort of, it got back to, it's, I think I think people find it interesting when rather than talk about new stuff, they talk about how you use things as well. So especially with the ubiquity and that sort of thing, I think that was a must have been quite a popular video, but it was very good. So yeah, it 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 ended up being pretty popular, um, and it was. I mean, as far as editing goes, it was fine. I mean, it was probably five or six or maybe seven hours worth of editing to get everything in, but it was also two trips to Idaho from Oregon. <laughs> You know, I flew there the first time to evaluate the property and just take a look at everything and figure out what I'm going to put where and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then I drove up the second time because the second time I had now purchased all this equipment, um, you know, configured it here in my home office and then drove it up to Idaho to actually do the installation, which took us two full days. Um, we actually were a little crunched on time. There was a little bit more that we wanted to get done. And we had just, you know, Anytime, inevitably, you're doing a large sort of deployment or project, um, there's always little things that can go wrong. And it might not even be something that, like, is related to the work that you're doing. It might just be like, oh, like the day that we were, uh, the second day that we were filming up there, um, they had some issues with um, power. So they had some power issues that they were, they had an Uh electrician out working on, and he kept taking down the power for the whole property for like 30 40 minutes at a time. And so mm. when that happens, it's like, well, I mean, we can't do anything. We're supposed to be working. <laughs> you know, we can't do anything while the power's down. And yeah. uh, so it was like little stuff like that kept happening where we, we were crunched to get it done, but we actually did get it done. And the video turned out quite nice. Um, little Easter egg on that video, the opening song. So the guy that I did that video for is a really good buddy of mine, someone I've known for probably close to 25 years. Um, and his nephew is the one who wrote the song in the beginning of that video so it's kind of like almost like that whole family is tied into the video it's like just friends of mine that i've known forever so it 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 came out great i absolutely loved it great project the the 
new one that I've got coming out is similar, though not quite as large in scope. Yeah, definitely. I think I I, I personally quite enjoyed that one. It was just as I said, it was just on site using equipment. It was, it was, it was I really got really got into that one, so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, plus you get the beautiful location, right? And you get the opportunity to send up the drone and get some like oh, amazing yeah. drone shots and stuff. And that uh, you know that sort of cinematic um, you know aspect of the video really makes it. Um, you know, as opposed to just, you know, Hey, here's me sitting at my desk, you know, unboxing an access yeah. point and plugging it in, you know, it's, it's just such a difference, um, in terms of the storytelling involved in videos, which is another thing that, you know, is something that, that I personally really struggle with. Um, how do I take, all right, I've got this new product, whatever, look, I've got these, uh, TP link smart plugs, right. And I'm going to unbox them and set them up. How do I turn that into a compelling story for YouTube, mm. right? As opposed to just a lot of the videos that you see that are like, here's me taking it out of the box. Here's me plugging it in. And then here's me setting it up, right? It, ha- it has to be more than that if you want to, um, you know, get those people coming back to your channel and actually clicking subscribe and they want to see more more stuff. Of course, yeah, definitely. Um. Sort of off the topic of the YouTube stuff was the what you're doing part of Crosstalk Solutions is the training course as well. I found that it's quite good that you're doing stuff in person with people. I saw the the video where you gave away the I think it was a UDMSE I think. Yeah. yeah that's, oh yeah, we gave those, away a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the training courses look really good. It's similar. A lot of distributors in the UK do those sort of training courses, um, but probably not as long as the one you as as lengthy as the ones you did. But how 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 do those come about? Was it People asking for, was it people that watch videos on certain topics that asked for in-person courses or was it something that you just inevitably did? So we, I've been doing training courses with um, free PBX for years now, Um, you know, even like pre-COVID, right? So we were doing trainings about twice a year on on free PBX. Um, And that was, I guess the catalyst that brought us into the network training idea, um, in, in addition sure. to the fact that the the guy, Dave Barger, he's a guy that works with Crosstalk Solutions very closely. Uh, he's yeah. hands down one of the best network guys I've ever worked with uh, in my entire career. And he came to me and said, hey, you know, you do these trainings for the phone system stuff. What if I created a course for computer networking, you know, based on... Uh, PF Sense, and you know we'll have a switch. We'll do some layer three switching. We really don't even get into Wi-Fi or anything. It's just about the core networking principles mm-hmm. and setting up like a very robust uh, network where we touch on topics like the higher t- uh, higher end types of routing, you know OSPF and that sort of stuff. We t- touch on topics like uh, high availability between multiple firewalls and things like that. Um, stuff that like basically what are the best practices today? for setting up and maintaining a solid business class network, not necessarily Mm. like enterprise class, but like, just like kind of what most businesses should ideally uh, have. Right. And so that's where the course came from. And then we put it out and it was actually quite popular. We, we ended up overselling the course. Um, A few people couldn't make it. They're coming to the next one, but we're going to be doing that one again in uh, January uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. That hasn't been announced yet, but uh, I will announce it here. <laughs> it's coming up pretty soon. Uh, January in Atlanta, Georgia. So if you're interested in coming to uh, our training course, man, it was a lot of fun. And it was just, it's just great meeting all the people and 
you know, it's a networking course, but we also do a lot of networking in that like social networking, right? Like where we're meeting everyone else that's in the course, we're going out to dinners, we're hanging out at the bar afterwards, whatever, talking and just learning about each other. And, um, you know, people can make a lot of connections that way too. So I, I absolutely love that aspect of it. Yeah, I've been on a few, uh, I've been on a Ubiquiti course a long time ago, and then I went on a Mikrotik course a little while ago, and I met a few people there that I'm still in contact with. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a good a good place to meet people that are like-minded. So, Sure. Definitely. Yeah. Now you say Mikrotik yeah. or Microtik? It's Mikrotik. That that's I, that's I how it. I pronounce it too, but every time <laughs> I say that online, people are like, it's not Mikrotik, it's Microtik. And I'm like, no, actually, it's a Latvian company. It, it is Mikrotik. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's. I never heard of them until I started uh, a wisp, but it, that's how everyone pronounced it. So I've just picked it up that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We used a lot of. I think. Have you used? Have you done any videos on Mikrotik stuff? I guess. I can't Barely. Remember, so I've done a yeah. couple. Um, they have a small, uh, ten gigabit switch that came out. I, I want to say this is probably about three years ago. Oh, okay. Um, it was just like four SF 10 gig SFP plus cages. And I think an RJ 45, uh, okay. and it was a, like $109 or $140 or something. It was a relatively inexpensive 10 gigabit switch. And it was one of the first relatively inexpensive 10 gigabit switches that I was aware of. And so I did a video on it called like budget 10 gig internet or something. I think and, I remember actually. And yeah. it, uh, and yeah, that one did pretty good. But again, I'm not, um, I'm not a Mikrotik expert. Um, it's, uh, it, it's definitely its own learning curve. Um, and, uh, and so I haven't personally got into it too much. We mostly focus on ubiquity stuff. I do a decent amount of, um, the TP link Omada, which is a, a pretty good ubiquity competitor. Uh, and then, yeah. yeah, And then of course, PF sense, uh, firewalls and stuff, which, which we absolutely love. Yeah. I noticed you put out a video with some, I think it was a new video, I think it was yesterday or there before, about these two new TP-Link access points. I've not had a chance to watch it yet. But how are you, How did, I haven't used the Amada series myself. How does it compare to Unify, like feature-wise? Very similar. I mean, it's almost it? like, it's almost like they saw that Unify was doing something pretty interesting and they basically copied it. <laughs> you know, so right. they, they copied it. And um, yeah, I mean, so far, I, so the way that I gauge... I guess the competency of a product is would I have any qualms about putting it in production for like you as my customer? Right. right. And so, <clears throat> you know, Unify stuff, it's got its plus and minuses, but for the most part, it works fine. Uh, same thing with the TP-Link, right? I haven't found anything that's like, Ooh, yeah, this is not something I would want to support for a customer in the wild. Right. So it's, yeah, so far it's been just totally fine. Fair enough. And their product line, I guess, is similar. They've got switches and they've got gateways as well. Yeah, they got firewalls. Okay. they got little, uh, you know, like cloud key type appliances for running the controller. They've got access sure. points, switches, and like many, many, many flavors of all of those things. They've got like probably 30 different switches that you can buy. They've got a oh, ton. Well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It, I've seen the Go before. It does. It's surprisingly similar to Unify. It's a bit, bit weird. <laughs> Well, it makes it easy, right? <laughs> it makes it easy to, to get into as opposed to something like the, the Mikrotik stuff, which is, you know, they do have a central controller. I forget offhand what it's called, but it's, I think it's called, I think it's called Capsman from memory. 
Something like that. Yeah, exactly right. So they do have like that central administration, but it's like, it's sort of like laid out weird and it's not Mm. quite as intuitive. It definitely takes a bit of like digging into it to figure it out. There's a, there's a steeper learning curve, I would say. Yeah. The, the Mikrotik stuff is definitely quirky. I'd surprise, I'd I'd call it. We, uh, we tried using their switches before and, and the, the VLAN process is just, it doesn't, it, it makes sense to someone who understands VLANs really, really in depth because yeah. you have to, there's something weird. You have to untie and tag in multiple places and do something. I can't remember exactly what you have to do, but it's, I couldn't get my head around it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's very complicated. The, we had all of our, at the Wisp I used to work at, everything that was rooted had a Mikrotik, um cloud core router, essentially. Everything was handled on those. There was hundreds of them with um, uh, BGP and OSPF, but it was it went wrong quite a few times. I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> but it's big learning curve with those. But yeah. Once you get so past can... that learning curve, like if you talk to people that are like Mikrotik guys, you know, they're like all about it and they swear by it and they say that it's it can do anything that you want it to do and like they're yeah. they feel like handicapped by something like unify or or amada because there's just not as much that you can do with it uh, it's very similar to like phone system stuff right like if you are very familiar with mitel that's your platform and shifting to anything else you're going to be like oh what is this i don't get this i like the way that it worked over in mitel you know so it, it's just that's just the way it goes with with a lot of technology yeah, definitely. The um the phone system stuff I've not really looked at before. The only thing I've played with is a unified talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at that yet. Um, but it's I managed to get my hands on the ATA adapter by uh, like a, fr- oh, a yeah, freight carrier because you you can't even buy them in this country, so I managed to import it. But just have a play with because the with Unify the software you can access the GUI if you haven't got any hardware. But the Unify talk it's sort of it's paywall basically. So yeah. if you don't get anything installed, you have to buy something to install it. So, right. yeah, I'm waiting for that to be officially launched here before I can start using it. But um, it seems pretty good. There's a lot of features on, on Yeah, that. it's an interesting venture for Ubiquity. And it's one of those things where I I have a feeling that they've... you know, it's It's very easy to bite off more than you can chew in the PBX world. Because um, especially not even talking about shifting into international markets, right? You know, Ubiquity is a U.S.-based company, um, you know, so not even talking about like shifting to the U.K. or anywhere else. Um, there's so many rules and regulations surrounding phone calls and emergency services and, um, you know, what information you have to outpulse when, with caller ID and how you have to digitally sign your phone calls now to help prevent robocalling, um, you know, and, and spam calls and that sort of stuff. There's so much that goes into sort of the back end of a phone system and how it has to be um, configured, like way beyond just like, hey, call comes in and rings these three phones and one of them can answer it. And if they don't answer, it goes to voicemail, right? That's the simple stuff. The, the hard stuff is interfacing with that PSTN and following all those various rules and regulations uh, and then, again, even then taking that and translating it to other countries, right, where the rules and regulations are totally different. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot for them to take on and, and kind of, you know, as a guy who sells phone systems to customers, again, I'm very partial to the phone systems we sell, but I'm partial to that phone system because it does absolutely everything that you could possibly want it to do. It's a product that's been around for 
two decades. You know, Unify Talk is just getting started, right? So they got a lot of catching up to do in terms of of making it a phone system that will work for a very wide base of customers, right? Right now, to me, it seems like it's a very narrow base of customers that mm. that can actually use it um, effectively. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the regulations you're on about with the digital sign is that the stir shaken. The stir shaken rule, yeah. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, so that's the new rules that say basically, um, you know, if you are terminating calls here in the United States, uh, so by terminating calls, I mean like where a call comes from a private entity and ends up right. in the public switch telephone network, right? Just like your internet connection, you know, you're in your LAN and then you're in your WAN, right? It's basically the same thing. You're in your phone system and now you're out on the public switch telephone network. Uh, where that call lands on the public switch telephone network, you need a carrier, just like with the internet. You're going to have, you know, whatever Starlink or AT&T or, you know, Verizon or whomever uh, to terminate your internet. You're going to have a carrier that terminates your phone calls. And if that carrier is not following the rules that say we are now digitally signing these phone calls, that we know who made this phone call and we know that they own the caller ID that they're using, uh, if those ducks are not in a row, they are now starting to get penalized by, um, you know, the entity here in the U.S. that covers that stuff, which is the FCC. Yeah, it's uh, sounds quite complicated. <laughs> it is. Yes, yes, it really it's, is. Yeah, it's mainly to get our, rid of the. We had our own. We had our own SIP business uh, where we had, you know, I don't know, fifty or so customers, and uh, we were terminating their SIP trunks, and all of these new rules and regulations started coming out, and we're just like we're out. I can't do it. It's just, it's too much. Like the learning curve, the additional network infrastructure, redundant network infrastructure that you now need to maintain, plus the thousands and thousands of dollars a year in, in digital signing certificates you have to purchase and stuff. It was just, it was too much. And we just got out of that business. So uh, it's yeah, kind of a relief in a way because we don't have to deal with that stuff anymore. But uh, yeah, it was actually fun having our own little carrier and, uh, and now we don't. So go figure. Yeah. The, um, I don't know how it is, in the US, but the the phone, the phone like the landline network here is going for a lot of changes. So I, I, again, I'm not sure how landlines work, but in, in here we've got copper copper phone lines still in mm-hmm. a lot of places. Yeah, uh, and analog analog switched, and that's how that's how most of the phone that's how most of the internet comes in as well for a lot of rural people. But what they what they're doing they they those that equipment takes up a lot of space in the uh, telephone exchanges. So yeah. there's a there's a target. I can't off the top of my head remember when they're gonna get rid of it. But they're switching a lot of people over to internet based phones. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this country, a lot of a lot of people who still have landlines are older, um, and they'd have to they'd have to purchase internet interlines as well. So I'm not sure what is the what is the default phone. So when you, when you purchase a broadband connection or internet connection, do you get a phone line? Yeah, you are, uh, right? but it's yep. tip. I mean, it's it's a what they call a POTS line, right? Like, so what you would think of as like a traditional copper phone line that comes into your okay. home, like you know, when I like we had a when I was a kid, we had them, right? Um, you get those lines, um, but they're not copper lines; they're all internet based at this point, um, right, at okay. least. So you got to think about it in terms of, um, you know, most of the infrastructure here in the U.S. is already voice over IP. So even if they're delivering you that copper line, it's still terminating and eventually becomes voice over IP, no matter what you plug into it. Right. Um, okay. Because you imagine 
Um, when they're trying to implement these types of regulations where you don't have to digitally sign a call and, you know, send it out or you have to uh, put in additional emergency services information like it's no longer good enough. If you have a school, you can't just say the address of the school is where the emergency is. It has to be the address of the school, you know, East Wing Room 3. You know, you have to get more specific with that information. And that's just not something that you can do on traditional analog telephony infrastructure. So when you're dealing with voice over IP, the reason that we're they're mandating like all of this analog stuff has to go is because if you start a voice over IP call and it has that E911 information, it has that, um, you know, the digitally signed certificate so that they know who that you are, who you say you are, that sort of stuff. As soon as that hits an analog switch, all of that's stripped. Yeah. Right. All of that is gone. And now that call proceeds on as like a ghost call, basically. Right. You have yeah. no idea about this call anymore. So there are mandates here in the U.S. I don't know exactly what the date is, but there is a, a very soon there's an upcoming date where uh, there's no more analog infrastructure allowed, period. So that's that's going to be coming up in the next I think it's within the next year. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting question for you that all that digital signing with the location for emergency services. How does that work when you've got a soft phone? So you've got someone at home uh, working from home with a soft phone. How does how does that work? That's a good question. And that is a yeah. case where they have written the regulations before the technology exists. Uh, so <laughs> okay. I will tell you how it's handled with uh, the soft phone that we prefer, which is a soft phone called Clearly Anywhere. Uh, with Clearly Anywhere, there is when you dial 911 with Clearly Anywhere on your cell phone, yeah. it passes it off to your cellular carrier. Right. right? Okay. So they're not even dealing with it. They're just saying, if you dial 911 with our soft phone, we're just using your cell phone's actual carrier yeah. to send that call. Right. So it's kind of a smart way of doing it. Right. You don't have to worry about any soft phone regulations. They are allowing you to dial 911, but they are just passing it off to a different carrier and saying, hey, we integrate with this phone so tightly. That's it. This is off to yeah. uh, off to Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile or whomever. Yeah. And there's some sort of, I can't remember, there's some sort of new technology in the smartphones to do to yeah. do i don't pinpointing or something so but it may yeah. i mean there's a lot of open questions about the technology right like um, there's a lot of companies that do a thing called hot desking have you heard of what uh, are you aware of hot desking uh i don't think so no okay so hot desking is imagine that you are a traveling salesperson right oh and i think you've an, got a, a, 10 yeah. satellite offices and you might be in any one of those satellite offices and you go up to sit at a desk and you log into that phone, and the phone becomes your extension wherever you're sitting, yeah. right? How do you handle a 911 call to emergency services when you could be in any one of those 10 locations at a time, right? So those that's what I'm talking about. They created the regulations, and now the technology is struggling to catch up with, with what they're mandating everyone do. So it's getting there, though. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, there's a lot of stuff they've got to take in consideration, really. Oh, yeah. So. So then you look at something like a brand new product like Unify Talk, they have not considered any of this, right? So that's what I'm saying. Like, it's just not, it's, it's, it's too, um, it's in its infancy and it needs yeah. to mature a little bit before it's a viable solution for customers. Definitely. For home users, it's fine. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It looks quite, it's got an address. I think I went through it. There's an address you can put in um, for the emergency services bit. There's mm. call recording. I mean, all the call recordings locally on the hard drive, the cloud key, if you've got one. Which is quite good. Otherwise, you have to with most SIP stuff, you got to pay for recording because that's get uploaded and that sort of thing. So, from a cost yeah. perspective, that's quite quite nice. Sure. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, we touched on it earlier, but the we um, just have a look at Starlink as well. So we we mm-hmm. discussed on in the podcast about loosely about what Starlink is on the thing. So I know in the for YouTube channel as well, you've done a lot of videos on Starlink and what it can do and all the new. Every time there's a new product like RV and uh, the ocean, well, I can't remember what they call it, Marina, I think. Or yeah, yeah. I am endlessly impressed by Starlink and what they're doing. Um, I have an app on my phone that you punch in your area your city and state and it will tell you uh when the best viewing times for the train of starlink satellites is going by your location so you can go outside and look up in the sky and see it it's pretty cool um i just think so you got it's so funny because you starlink is such an amazing technology but it's created by elon musk who is a very polarizing character um you know and i personally am not a fan of elon musk but I love the stuff that he's doing. I love Starlink. Tesla's great. You know, some of the other projects he's got going are, are wonderful. Um, you know, lofty goals, which is what I like to see, right? Um, but to me, Starlink is... It, it, internet in general is a public utility at this point. Whether it's classified that way in any individual country or not, fact of the matter is it's important to most households as water and electricity. Uh, and so Starlink being able to bring that important infrastructure to places where terrestrial internet can't go, you know, like the top of a mountain or the middle of a desert or wherever, yeah. you know, the middle of the ocean, right? Um, that's just amazing to me. And I think that it's over time, that type of technology, whether it ends up being Starlink or some other company that, you know, ultimately ends up being the one with like full, like global coverage. Yeah. Um, it, it's going to change the world. It's absolutely going to change the world. It already is. Um, you know, there's, there's situations where, um, you know, Starlink satellites are deployed to uh, war zones and they're deployed to disaster areas to provide internet relief and that kind of thing. And it's just like the ability to just have, fast, reliable internet anywhere on the planet is just mind-boggling to me. And I absolutely love it. <laughs> Coming from the old, you, like, 1200 baud dial-up modem days to where we are today. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's been an amazing uh, amount of advancement uh, just in my own lifetime. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I struggle to remember, well, I, I, in my lifetime, we've always in, in, had internet, so, and and relatively fast internet so it's difficult for me to imagine yeah. but i can i can appreciate it i remember you- when i was a kid i had a, a an old computer it was like one of the first times i got um you know a modem and connected out to you know the, it wasn't the internet it was like bulletin board systems you had to connect out to and i downloaded a um do you are you aware of night rider that show from the 80s with david yeah. hasselhoff yeah. yeah so night rider had this you know cool like black trans am with like the red light on the front of it you know yeah and i spent 45 minutes downloading the sound file for kit the car you know it's like that and it was like it was 120k sound file and it took me 45 minutes to download it but i was so impressed that i just pulled this out of thin air essentially (laughs) and now i have this sound on my computer that i could play whenever i wanted uh, and to the point where we are today, where that would be a millisecond to download that. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. <laughs> do you, your Starlink dish? Do you still have that? 
you still paying? Yes. I guess you're still paying for it and still got it as a backup yeah. one, I guess. But yeah, I still use it. Um, I like to use it on YouTube setup videos uh, because in YouTube world, if you ever accidentally let your WAN IP address leak to the internet, people will try to exploit it. People will try to um, compromise your um, your internet connection. Right. So I like using Starlink because it has a technology called CG NAT where you don't even if I accidentally let my WAN IP address leak, it's really not a lot of danger because that same WAN IP address is used for many, many, many Starlinks, uh, you know, and, and then they handle it with CG NAT on the on the on the backside of it. So yep. I kind of like to use Starlink for any video that I'm putting out on the Internet where I'm just doing a test setup uh, and that way. If that ever happens, I'm not actually leaking my actual, um, you know, WAN IP address. Yeah, you haven't got to go back in post and make sure you've blurred out something. I've done, I've done that before. Oh so. yeah, that's it. <laughs> I've had to pull videos off the channel. I've had to actually change my static IP address uh, because I accidentally let it leak. I've had to do that in the past, so it's wow. it's it's a pain to do that. So we don't we don't, we try not to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you got? What do you? What interesting projects are you working on? Um. So. There was I wrote a, I wrote a guide on it for um where I oh, sorry I wrote a guide on it for Hostifies where I where I work as well um so where I, as I said where I used to work at a Wisp I we had very slow um broadband at the house here so I think it was eighteen megabytes down and one megabyte up or megabits sorry um so it was the time when we were all everyone was working from home I had I was starting to live with someone so we needed faster internet um so we I've we we got a nearby farm and and broadcasted the the Wisp internet to our house. So, using we used Giga, Gigabeam Plus, we used uh, Rocket Dish and Ultra Dish uh, from RF Elements. Oh, that's great! As well, and a yeah. Edge Power to make sure the the power's backed up. Uh, you can Edge Power. You can have you seen the Edge Power before? I have seen it. I have not actually used it myself. I haven't played with it. Yeah, it's a little black. It's basically like a UPS that goes onto UISP, and mm-hmm. then. It would email you when the power's off. Um, you connect up to a twelve volt battery, and the the size of battery we had, it, I think it says it can run for twenty four hours or something. Which is quite oh, nice. that's amazing! But yeah, um, yeah, it made things a lot easier. So, I mean, just uploading a YouTube video would take ages before I can upload right. a YouTube video in a few minutes. So, yeah, it's oh, that's perfect. I'm, where I live on a farm as well, we've got a lot of ubiquity stuff around just to have cameras and Wi Fi around where we what we do. So that's where I learned a lot of my stuff. It's quite interesting. So. Well, that's like one of my favorite. Um, one of my favorite things to do is designing out those types of properties, right? So, if you've got a large, expansive property, like how do you get internet to all of these areas that you want to cover? And there are different ways to do it, right? But a lot of it is what kind of line of sight do you have? Where do you have power located? Um, you know, all of these things that you have to consider, and it's kind of like putting a puzzle together, right? Where, where you have to fit the right pieces in the right places in order for it to provide the end result that you want. Uh, and so I love those kind of designs. We uh, I just got contacted from like actually a major um, sports arena here in the United States that has like uh, this brand new parking lot that they installed. And they've got like dozens of cameras in that parking lot with no internet yeah. access. They're trying to figure out like how can we get all these cameras connected so we can keep an eye on the, on this like super remote parking lot. Uh, and so like figuring that out is always like, I don't know. It's just super fun. I love that stuff. 
Yeah, with that sort of environment, you've got, especially um, at business parks, I see that they have like a twisting maze, basically, and they they have they have camera poles, and typically they go for two nano beams and just have it. They just have it sort of bouncing between. Certainly. They just have it bouncing between each each pole. I'm not sure that's the best way for redundancy. I'm not sure you could either have a high point in the in the location, have a, a sector antenna, but it depends on on line of sight and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's fun though. It's fun stuff, and there's like so many possibilities with it that people don't even realize. You know, so someone who's even just you know someone just living on a farm, and you just realize, hey, wait a minute, I can actually get internet out at the cow pasture, you know, like way, way over there, way over yonder. Right. So <laughs> it's just like the ability to do that is just, I don't know. It's one of my favorite things to do is design those things. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. The, um, what was, yeah. The, um, there was a project I did over lockdown, which I took inspiration from your solo video. So mm. we've got like a orchard at the back of the farm. Um, I just wanted to mess around with batteries and solo. So I set up, did exactly the same thing as you did. I did the Renogy solar panel. I did the solar point. Yeah. Um, and that's just sitting out there. I think it's been there for two years. No, th- yeah, two years. I did it this time two years ago. So yeah, it's got two car batteries and sits there with a kettle camera. And the amount of stuff we see on, on the camera, like deers, there's owls and different little birds come and say hello to the little camera. They sort of peck the camera lens, I think, for bugs. I think they. I think bugs like the heat of the camera, but that's yeah. That's that's a cool a cool little thing I did. It was learning experience with the wires. Um, get the make sure everything was volt uh, powered up correctly. But oh, very cool. It's quite nice. Yeah, solar stuff is wonderful. I, I have a so I moved and I had to tear down that whole solar oh, setup no. that I had done. Um, you know, way back when. But yeah, I've been like chomping at the bit to get something going again. So I have a. Uh, 400 watt solar um, project in the works where I'm going to be putting it basically out on in my yard here and uh, and running Starlink off of that solar and seeing how um, how feasible that is, I guess, would be mm. the right word for it, right? And uh, so that's another project. I never give timelines on these things because I never know how long it's going to actually take. And now we're coming into winter. <laughs> yep. so, so I'm not going to have as much sun to play with, but... It's a project I'd like to get done before next spring, for sure. Yeah, the the Solar Point product. I'm not sure what's going on with it. It's the weather forecast thing on it, the weather forecast feature. I think it needs a server by Ubiquiti to run, and occasionally it just it just stops working. Um, oh, really? And no one's responded in the in the thread on the the forum for ages. So it's out. It's yeah. been out of stocks. Yeah, as well. It's one of those projects. Like so, Solar Point falls into that category of. You know, Ubiquity likes, they have a tendency to just throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks, you know, and Solar Point is a really cool project that just ultimately uh, didn't take off. And now it doesn't have the development or support behind it that it needs. Um, the project that I'm working on, I'm not going to be using Solar Point, right? It works great no. for the one single, you know, whatever 100 watt panel that I had, but like for 400 watt setup, I'm going for like a more robust um solution instead of solar point but i did like the solar point um device itself i thought it was pretty cool yeah it, just the fact you don't have to have a separate box or a switch if you need one and you can yeah. turn the ports off as well so exactly quite cool yeah once you start going at over 24 volts it just becomes very messy i was researching how to improve it and put like a g4 pro up or something it just becomes 
you just have to get so much rubbish and so much adapters and things. It just didn't wasn't worth it. So yeah, yeah. and you just lose a lot of power to heat, right? Heat dissipation is where all your power ends up going. So if you can just like the one thing I learned is if you can just keep that constant voltage and do as few voltage changes as possible between the solar panel to the um, charge controller to your devices, uh, yeah. you know, that's the that's the ideal setup. And I'll tell you one other thing. There's a lot of people that know a lot about solar and electrical way better than I do online because you hear from them <laughs> when you do a video like that. And I, I'm not an electrician. I say in the video, I am not yeah. an electrician. I don't know really what I'm doing here, uh, but I'm you still... still get a lot of people that that have very strong opinions on uh, on on anything that you put out in that regard. Yeah, the, the comments on YouTube are interesting. Uh, it's not something I've I've come across yet with the stuff I do, but that's even something like a car review you watch on YouTube. The amount of stuff in the comments is just stupid, especially as well, which is really really bad. Especially if the person doing the car review is a woman as well. The amount of weird comments in the oh it's just it's terrible but yeah it's, it's very strange so i'm on a i'm on a a group of um i'm on a discord channel where there's a number of youtubers that kind of all chat with each other and we talk about our equipment and you know comments and stuff like that and there's yeah um you know the the women that are in there like they have horror stories about what people you know comment on their channel it's just yeah it's an entirely um different level of stuff I guess that they have to deal with that I am just thankfully oblivious to. Um, but like, I sympathize. I absolutely sympathize. I think it's uh, cause there needs to be more women in tech. Like I've got a 10 year old daughter who has a very strong engineering mind, you know, and I would love for yep. her to go into tech and love for her to go into, um, you know, development or where, wherever her passions lie. Um, but God, there's just so many roadblocks. There's so many more roadblocks for women in tech than men. Uh, that it's, I don't know. I don't see that changing. I wish it would, but you know, I don't see yeah. it changing anytime soon. Yeah, where I used to work on the uh, NOC team, so like the Network Operation Center at the Wisp, there's only one woman on the team. She was, she's amazing at what she does. There's only only one person, um, and there's a person I can't remember her name on Twitter. I follow. I think it's like Not She Networks or something along that. Like that yeah, along those I'm lines. aware of her. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I think I think I think that's her name anyway. Um, but. Yeah, I think she does networking videos on TikTok as well, and there's a lot of crap. That's that where she's on there, super so. popular. Yeah, I, I knew her from yep. Twitter as well, and then I just recently popped onto TikTok for the first time, and I didn't realize that her following is absolutely humongous uh, on on TikTok. I've not I've not even used that app yet, to be honest. I'm not sure I will. But... You don't need to. You don't. No. Need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't personally recommend it. <laughs> you know, I had a social yeah. media person that would tell me like, "No, you've got to be on TikTok. You got to be on Instagram and all this stuff." And I'm like, "Do I? I guess. I guess you're. You know, if you want to try to remain relevant, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah." Back when I started the interface, it was on a different had a different name uh, a while ago. But I had I had Facebook and Instagram, and I've I've I think I deleted them two years ago, maybe just because I just got fed up with dealing with it. But it hasn't really affected traffic on the blog most of it comes from yeah. google anyway so i ended up setting up a separate phone so i've got my main cell phone and then i've got uh -huh. a, an older cell phone that i use with no personally identifiable identifiable information which is where i have facebook instagram and tiktok interesting so i just completely separated out my personal stuff from uh from those platforms that's a good idea are you yeah. seeing that there's are you seeing on that there's not many relevant adverts at all or how was it? 
I don't use it. So I only post with it. Like I'm not on oh, there fine. browsing Facebook or browsing TikTok. I just post yeah. to it, you know? So I just, oh, right. I put out my posts and I'll read people's comments if they comment on something, but that's about it. That's about it. I really don't have anything to do with it. When you talk about, you know, it's a whole, there's a whole nother hour we can talk about yeah. of, of the security and privacy atrocities that these companies commit. Um, TikTok especially, but also Facebook is very, very bad. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just personally not a fan of that type of stuff. So mm-hmm. I try to distance myself. I personally haven't been on Facebook in seven years, maybe. I don't know. It's been a long time since I deleted my account. But um, you know, we just started it up for the business because it's just another way for to you know distribute out the information that we're putting on YouTube. Yeah, it's a good idea. One one tool I use is a Hoot, I don't know if you heard of it like a Hootsuite thing. It's a it's yeah. like a social media manager. So I don't I never yeah. need to use any of the apps or anything. I just use that to publish stuff, which is quite useful. Yeah, to their credit, um, so I use Meta Business, right? So there's a web page that yeah. just basically is for your business page, and it allows you to post out to Facebook and post out to Instagram. To yeah. their credit, that's actually a pretty cool tool. Um, okay. that doesn't require you to log into Facebook or Instagram. You just sort of go to this one business uh, suite site and you can post out from there. Um, so I use that mostly. Uh, and then okay. it allows you to see all your comments and all that stuff. So it's it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Do you still need an individual Facebook account to even make a page still? Was that... You do. Right, okay. Yeah, you do. Right. But we just set up a generic one. And, uh, you know, of. for... It's like Chris crosstalk or something i don't know it's it's just yeah. it's super generic i don't use it i don't follow anyone on it it's just only there uh as the sort of foundation for the business page okay thank you for joining me on the creator spotlight chris um yeah thanks for having where, me that's all right no problem uh where can people find you on the socials and mostly uh youtube so mostly i do youtube and twitter uh so it's uh youtube.com slash crosstalk solutions or at Crosstalk SOL on Twitter. Brilliant. And you can follow the interface at, well, you can visit the website for the interface at theinterface.uk. And then we're on Twitter at the underscore interface underscore, which is a mouthful, but it is what it is. Cool. Um, Thank you for joining me on the podcast, Chris, and we'll see you again next time. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you.